Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Changing my perspective on what it means to be human from that I have a body, that I'm kind of the soul or mind trapped in a body, to what turns out to be a more biblical perspective, which is I am a body. And that detaching from my emotions is not the point. And this idea of being embodied creatures, that God created us as a living, in Hebrew it's nefesh, it's the word we translate as soul. And that comes preloaded in our psyche as this disembodied kind of platonic soul that floats away one day. But in in the Hebrew imagination, nefesh, it more literally means throat. And that's a metaphor for the part of you that's kind of like most connected, uh, connects uh, you to life. Well, again, welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe. As again, we try to help you stay curious, think well, and advance good, as you just heard. On Q Ideas, we talk about a lot of the issues we face and seek to apply biblical wisdom to many of our human problems. But do we apply similar time thinking about what it means to be human? How did God make us? How do we best function? And what about our emotions? How do they fit in God's design for us? <laughs> Gabe, that's where we want to explore not only this, but also next week here on Q Ideas. I'm really excited to introduce you to a conversation that is happening on a different podcast. Now, I know that might seem odd, but we wanted you as our consistent, loyal audience who listens to talks every week, who gets our take on it, who goes a little deeper into some of these areas that we are exploring as an organization that we believe are really important for how Christians are going to engage our world today, that we introduce you to an episode that just released on our NeuroFaith podcast. So if you're not familiar with NeuroFaith, NeuroFaith is another podcast that we've launched through Q Ideas that's hosted by Dr. Kurt Thompson. Now, Dr. Kurt Thompson's board-certified psychiatrist. He explores all these themes around interpersonal neurobiology and Christianity. And NeuroFaith helps listeners like you discover how your minds were built to function and how to implement healthy practices that confront fear and encourage mindfulness. And I will say in our culture today, this conversation around neuroscience and neurofaith could not be more important for the believer. And, and here's why. As you think about the current mode in which people operate today, they've pretty much done away with religion. They're not as interested in religion or the moral frameworks that religion created in how they process What's good for me? What's bad for me? What will lead me to flourishing? But what people are paying attention to is science. They're very interested in what are we learning? What are we discovering? What is provable? And so neuroscience has become one of those fields that's fascinating so many people because what it does for us as a Christian who believes God's designed us, he's designed our brains, he's helped us become who we're supposed to be, and he knows best how we function best and what kind of relationships we need to be in and how those need to function. And what's happening is the field of science is really catching up with God's design. They're starting to discover 
the unique nature at which God's designed humankind, and in that unique nature, how we function and flourish best. And so for all of us, even if you're not into science, even if you would consider yourself a novice and not an academic or an intellectual, we need to, as Christians, get more and more familiar with how our minds work, how our brains work, the ways in which God's designed us, because you're going to find yourself in conversations where you're going to help illuminate for people this unique idea that God's made them this way. And the reason why they're feeling a certain way, the reason why they feel connection, why they observe beauty, why they have longings, why they need and desire human relationship and connection is because God's wired them for something more. And so as you listen, understand that perspective and context. But secondly, I'm excited about the topic that you're going to hear today on this particular episode. And remember, there's been a couple of seasons now of this podcast going forward on NeuroFaith. I would love for you to subscribe to that podcast, start getting that in your feed. We do short seasons on that with Dr. Kurt Thompson interviewing very specific scientists, counselors, and others who can help you get a better grasp of how you're processing your emotions and what's working inside your mind and what needs a little bit of work. Today, you're going to hear a conversation on a very important topic called Do Emotions Matter? Now, this episode's from season two, and it has Kurt Thompson exploring these topics with two people. One is Tristan Collins, who's a licensed professional counselor, and her husband, John Collins. He's a co-founder of The Bible Project. And together, they're going to have a conversation about why emotions matter to God and how our emotions do show our humanity. Now, we live in a world that's quite emotive, and so many people aren't having a problem expressing their emotions. And sometimes that can get out of hand. But there's also a population of people who don't understand the value of actually reading their emotions, understanding why they're feeling certain things, and going deeper into how God's wired us to feel emotions because he wants to drive us towards relationship. He wants to drive us towards others. And I think in this conversation, you're going to start to explore that, whether you're somebody who's very comfortable sharing your emotions and you know what you feel and you're very good at tracking that, or you're somebody who that's a new conversation for. And you've heard others tell you, you should get in touch with your emotions. Or maybe you have a spouse who said, I don't think you're feeling right now. You're kind of numb. I think this conversation will be illuminating, and I hope you enjoy it. So let's listen in now to Dr. Kurt Thompson as he hosts John and Tristan Collins. We are eager to hear from our guests not only about the work they are doing, but how it speaks to what it means for us to thrive in our present particular moment. My guests on today's episode are John and Tristan Collins. Tristan is a licensed professional counselor with a focus on trauma recovery a Wayfinder coach, and a soccer mom of two active boys. Her husband, John, is co-founder of The Bible Project and pioneered the medium of explainer videos with his early marketplace work. Together with Tristan's training in mental health and John's curious mind, they wrote a book called Why Emotions Matter to explore embodied spirituality. John and Tristan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. So as we were talking about in the beginning of our time, we like to begin with inviting our guests to talk a little bit about what it is about their own personal story that drew them into the work that you're now doing, and we'd love to hear you each talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll start. So I grew up here in the Pacific Northwest. That's where we're at now. And I consider myself a rational skeptic. <laughs> I live inside my head and I love to think about things and I love to try to understand things. Mm. And I grew up in a Christian home, 
that was very interested in understanding the Bible. So that became an early obsession of mine is trying to understand uh, this book and what it means for uh, how to be human, how to, well, the question often was, how do you get to heaven? Mm. But really trying to understand what this book was all about. So I went off to Bible college and I studied at a college here in Portland, Oregon, and began to realize that my obsession with understanding things kind of expanded beyond just the Bible. And I felt really too young and just too ill-equipped to really understand and explain the Bible. So that got me interested in just honing the skills of explanation in other formats. And so I started doing work for a lot of tech companies, uh, explaining their software and technology and beginning to learn this medium of explainer videos, taking ideas and making them into turning them into these short uh, visual explanations. Okay. Okay. So um, like, so I like a 59 year old dude. Yeah. So explainer videos, could you please explain <laughs> explainer videos? Yeah. So when, when YouTube became popular back in the early 2000s, it created a, a new form of distribution, hmm. which allowed for people to share videos more readily. And um, also, everyone had access to better equipment and software that allowed you to make videos in your home. And so the synthesis of that became being able to make really simple cartoony videos using text and drawings and illustrations to uh, explain a concept and put it up online and then people could share it and um, and it helped people kind of understand all sorts of things. And, and the tech world really began to love these because the tech world had really difficult to explain ideas like mm. cloud computing mm. or whatever their new piece of software was supposed to do and why. And so these short animated videos just helped unlock that for people. Uh, so this craft of explaining things visually and concisely became this really wonderful medium to help people have a paradigm shift. But underneath that was just, for me, a desire to understand the world. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things in our relationship, Tristan and I, that was hard for me to understand was the world <laughs> of emotions. Uh, I grew up believing that emotions were like a liability, uh, something not to be trusted, something to to repress and ignore and to rise above. And so one of the conflicts that constantly came up in our marriage was our opinion on how to deal with emotions. And one day Tristan brought home for me a chart that she got during grad school of here's all the emotions. So just look at it and identify <laughs> what you feel and then we can talk about it. And I hung it up by my computer and I looked at it, but it felt like looking at the like dashboard of an airplane cockpit. Like yeah. I was, it just made no sense to me. But at the same time, Tristan's like going to school, really thinking about these things. And uh, so we wanted a project that allowed us to work on this together. Yeah, John and I both went to the same uh, Bible college. And so we met through friends that way. Um, but it was just through school that I realized that I was more interested in psychology and that understanding how theology intersect with psychology was um, a big interest for me. So I ended up going to graduate school 
um, and more specifically learning about uh, psychology and counseling. And then during that time, just having more, you know, realizations about the value of emotions. And so, of course, coming home and wanting to share with John the new things that I'm learning. And um, yeah, we just had some interesting conversations of just our different perspectives and how to deal with emotions. And so we've been married for almost 19 years now. And um, so this book has kind of just been our culmination of our journey of learning um, for me professionally, but then also for us personally. It's, um, yeah, very personal information for our relationship. I would love to hear you each talk a little bit about the book. First of all, um, what are some things that you are uh, really deeply pleased with that, that came out of that project together? And, and also a, a part of what, not just what pleased you, I wonder if there were any, if, if there was anything that surprised you that emerged out of that project together. And I would, and just also just tell our audience what the book is about and its title and so forth. We're going to push that at the end, but I would love to hear about some of those things. Yeah. So we did this in order to create a shared language for each other uh, that we could use to understand emotions. And I actually really wanted to understand what emotions were. I didn't have a good way to think about what emotions were. And like I said, I just kind of lived in this world of, of thought. And so the big thing for me, the big significant piece was understanding um, the role of emotions. And, 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 and I'd explain it this way in that um, <laughs> we have this just rich inner world of our body um, doing all sorts of cool stuff for us. It's, it's engaging with the world. It's processing all of this information, sensory information, how we feel, what's going on outside. And it's doing this underneath our conscious awareness. And it's making all these predictions about what we need uh, to thrive and survive. And it's beautiful that God designed it this way. And so for me... To begin to understand emotions as my body tapping into information made me really interested in getting access to that information too. As a you know, as a like a rational person, like I want more information. I want to understand things more. And so understanding that my body had an intelligence and that feelings and emotions were my access to that intelligence. And so Tristan had this really great metaphor she developed of the dashboard, which was kind of key to helping me understand that. Yeah, just that um, I thought it was helpful to kind of think about emotions like the signals on the dashboard of our car, where, you know, they aren't right or wrong, but it's more about um, looking at that information and trying to assess what is it trying to communicate to me. And oftentimes what it's communicating is unmet needs. Um, and so can you, give me, can, can you give us an example of that? Yeah. Um, so I think, let's say, for example, um, with the emotion of uh, shame, that, you know, that signal might be going off on our dashboard. And so I think when we look into it as, okay, this is trying to communicate something to me. What is it trying to communicate? And one of the suggestions we gave is that it could be communicating there's a threat to your identity. Because um, shame is often, you know, this label that we put on ourselves or, some, or someone else puts on us that isn't our true God-given identity. And so shame makes us feel 
you know, unworthy and not a valuable, you know, made in the image of God, um, human. And so I think when we can look at our dashboard as signals on the car, it can help us to become more curious rather than, Ooh, I don't like this feeling. And I'd want to cover up my dashboard because that actually can make it more difficult to navigate life. If we don't know, um, what our body is trying to communicate to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, uh, in the course of your working together on this, again, back to this question of what, what surprised you about this? And how would you say that any of those surprises now have changed the way that you are being with one another or being out in the world of life and work that you're living in? Yeah, for me, the biggest surprise uh, I talk about it in the book was changing my perspective on what it means to be human from that I have a body, that I'm kind of the soul or mind trapped in a body, to what turns out to be a more biblical perspective, which is I am a body. And that detaching from my emotions is not the point. And this idea of being embodied creatures, that God created us as a living, in Hebrew, it's nefesh. It's the word we translate as soul. And that comes preloaded in our psyche as this disembodied kind of platonic soul that floats away one day. Um, but in, in the Hebrew imagination, nefesh, it more literally means throat. And that's a metaphor for the part of you that's kind of like most connected, uh, connects uh, you to life. It's where you know, food comes down. It's where you breathe through. It's like the most embodied part of you, really your throat. Mm. And, um, it becomes this metaphor to describe actually just what it means to be an embodied being. We still use this phrase in the airline industry where you say, Hey, we've got a hundred souls aboard this plane. They don't mean a hundred disembodied, you know, uh, spirits. They actually mean the old English way of that word, which is like a person. Um, and that the, the purpose that God, um, gave us is to, to be bodies and that the hope in the Bible is resurrection mm-hmm. Indeed. to be reformed into new bodies. So that, that man was a, such a surprise to me. <laughs> that was not the paradigm I had about what it means to be human. Um, and so there's a great book by Anthony, uh, Damasio who called Descartes heir which kind of really gets to this idea that that Rene Descartes famously told us, I think, therefore I am. In other words, the most important part of me is my rational thought and everything else can be discarded. And that became a, kind of a main frame for the way we think about things and even the way that psychology thought about things for a while. And now we understand that that's kind of a false dualism and it's not even really found in the Bible um, that I'm not merely my thoughts. I am my, my entire body. And so understanding my emotions is deeply connected to what it means to be the image of God. Right. And at the same time, I'm aware that in looking at your book, you have sections that explore particular emotions. And that presumes that there is a part of me, maybe it's my throat part that represents, well, you know, who knows, but there is a part of me that at any given time uh, has the capacity to actually pause and observe part of me that is feeling ashamed or angry or afraid or whatever that is. And I'm wondering also, uh, Tristan, 
I, I would love for you to talk, first of all, again, also what surprised you, what's been helpful about this project together. And love for you to speak a little bit more about even your experience as a clinician, how it makes a difference for your clients, for your patients, in terms of really inviting them into this space where they recognize emotion to be what you're discovering it to be. Definitely. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book is for um, some of my clients, uh, because part of my training has been in understanding the impact of you know, our past trauma, especially with abuse. And so I think when you grow up in a family where your feelings aren't valued, um, it's easy to start to take that paradigm into adulthood. And what I noticed is that clients that have experienced trauma, oftentimes it comes up in their feelings, even in, in present day, even though it's from the past. And so I can empathize in that it's frustrating when you have these emotions that, you know, fear, for example, that, you know, in your present circumstances, like, oh, my husband's a safe person. I shouldn't be afraid that he's touching me. And so what's so difficult is that it doesn't make sense to you in the present circumstance. So part of you could easily explain it away, like, oh, see, emotions are bad. Instead of that your body is communicating to you that the past circumstance that you experienced hasn't been resolved. So it hasn't really been integrated, and you would understand this, in, in your mind and body. Um, and so because of that lack of integration, your body is confusing the present-day circumstance as the danger from the past. And, and that can feel just like crazy making to people. And so post-traumatic stress disorder is, you know, one of those uh, confused, I'd call it like confused signals um, that create chaos for people. And so, you know, you're much more likely to struggle with addiction and um, a lot of self-sabotage because it's so difficult to deal with these emotions that don't make sense, but they are there for a reason. And they're great tools out there specifically like EMDR uh, is one of those great trauma tools that help people to process these confusing signals. So I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit then to, you know, we have, uh, I mean, you mentioned, John, that, you know, we, we kind of live in the wake of Descartes and the kind of this dualism that we've made up in our heads that doesn't really exist if you look at the way our brains and bodies and minds and emotion all work. I'm, I'm wondering, especially as uh, our listeners are mostly thoughtful people of faith, what does it mean for us? What are the significant things that we can learn? And, and I'm also curious for you too, uh, Tristan, like how what you just said is applicable, not just to the client that comes into your office with PTSD, but we have a lot of structures in our churches. We have a lot of business. We have a lot of things that organize themselves around this notion that emotion is this thing we have to put up with, but that it is not something necessarily that informs us very much. We have faith structures in which we've been taught and preached and so forth and so on that sees faith as this abstract, rational algorithm rather than an embodied, breathing, living, being, emotional force in the world I'd love to hear again how each of you would see how what you're doing in the book and your collaborative work together, what that has to say to our faith communities about what does it mean for us to be people of faith and how paying attention to the things that you're paying attention to makes it more likely for us to flourish. There's a lot of different perspectives 
about emotions amongst many different faith communities. The one I grew up in, the one I think a lot of people are familiar with, is one that you just like you just described. That my relationship with God is a, a rational puzzle to be solved, and going to heaven is about knowing the right the right things and being able to say the right things and believe the right things. And this theological puzzle it became this this rational game. And then also a part of that is a distrust in emotions because they're all connected to the vices. So it all it all came down to a lot of suspicion that emotions can't be trusted and a desire to just kind of control and rein in our emotions. Actually, Plato famously gave the analogy of the uh, the charioteer being pulled by two horses. The charioteer represents your rational mind and the two horses represent your emotions. The one was like a, the noble emotions and one was like the ugly emotions, but both of them were pulling you along and you and with your rational mind need to rein them in and control them. And that that's the dualism that I think was wholly adopted by many faith traditions. We need to like just rein in and control our emotions. And uh, what we understand now is more like, like emotion and reason are co-pilots that are working together. Well, this is Q Ideas, and we need to hit the pause button right there on this conversation from the NeuroFaith podcast with neuropsychologist Kurt Thompson, a new podcast that's produced by Q Ideas. We'll continue Kurt's conversation with John and Tristan Collins around our emotions and the intersection of neuroscience and faith next week. As Gabe mentioned at the start of the show, you can find the NeuroFaith podcast produced by Q Ideas on all the different podcast platforms. I personally listen to it on the Spotify platform. But yeah, check out NeuroFaith. And of course, if you've not yet become a member of the Q Media platform, our subscription service featuring many of the talks and conversations from Q events like the Culture Summit, as well as podcasts and curated content, you can always request a free 30-day trial subscription. Just check it out at qideas.org. I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. On behalf of Gabe, we hope you have a blessed week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.